Welcome to the Hot Take Corner, where we discuss your hottest takes, answer your most burning questions, and just generally talk about the Indians. I'm your host, Matt Lyons, and joining me this week on our very first episode, our Let's Go Tribe writer and co-host of Let's Talk Tribe, Merritt Rolfing. Hi! Let's Go Tribe writer and co-host of Indians on Deck, Matt Schlichting. Good evening. And Let's Go Tribe writer and co-host of Indians on Deck, Brian Hemminger. Hello, everyone. So what we're going to do, so this is kind of like our first episode. It, it was before we kind of had all the questions just sort of at the end of, ep- end of episodes, but we started to get so many, I thought it'd be cool to put it into its own little episode. And also, of course, people always have their their own hot takes they have. So we're going to do it as, we'll just go in circles. We have our own little doc here. We're going to pick a question. We're going to talk about it. Some of them are just straight hot takes. Most of them are questions, but we'll just kind of a way to talk to to listeners and, and readers of Let's Go Tribe and followers of Let's Go Tribe on Twitter, just a new way to interact and so let's go. Our first one is going to be from Vmart Shopper on Let's Go Tribe. He asks, when will Jose, or not Jose, when will Fran Mel Reyes start hitting again, slash what's wrong with him? What if he were Jose Reyes in disguise? <laughs> Who is Jose Reyes? Why did that name come to mind? I don't even know. <laughs> Who's Jose Reyes? Short, wasn't he a shortstop? He used to steal <laughs> a lot of bases. Yeah, One of the most had... dynamic players in, in, in Mets history. Come on, yeah. Oh, and also not a good person. But yeah, so Fran Mel Reyes... <laughs> <laughs> if anybody has thoughts on so is is he going to start hitting again or is he broken forever and the next five years are going to be miserable or or just generally what's wrong with him i guess it reminds me of tyler naquin not being able to hit high fastballs so take that how you will uh great players learn to not hit high fa- not to go after high fastballs their names are usually mike trout or things like that less good ones don't learn it so you know there you go it reminds me of carlos santana in his walk here he was trying so hard and i think that's what's happening got traded to the new team and i don't really think there's like specific big holes in his swing but like it seems like every time i watch an at bat he swings swings at the first pitch no matter where it is like he just he wants to go up there and make a big first impression he talks about you know how hard he hits the ball and how crazy long some of his home runs have been and he wants to do that with the indians now that he's here uh especially since they made that investment in him uh in terms of trading away one of their best pitchers so i I think he's putting too much pressure on himself so i also read something about uh dhs that you know usually you have a dh as a more veteran that's been around the league a lot longer they've been in the field more you know they're they're looking forward to not being in the field and even though he's not very good defensively uh you know, it's probably a good thing that he's DHing right now. Maybe you know that puts a lot of pressure on you because that's all you do the whole game. So that's all he's thinking about too. So you know, there's a lot going into it. But I think as soon as he starts relaxing, he'll- yeah, I thought that same thing about the DH is it's got to be weird. Like going from you play every day, every inning to you sit down for like ninety percent of the game <laughs> and go up. And if you're already putting the pressure on yourself of trying to get the city to love you, and you left a city that you really liked before, I can imagine that sort of gets to you after a while, and it, it probably won't last forever. He does. And some of those swings have been ugly so far, but he's also drilled yeah. a couple balls and he, he makes an effort to hit pitches that are away, which is kind of neat. That's that's where most of his power comes from. And I think it's just a matter of him settling down because right now all of his plate appearances look like me playing MLB the show where you just guess <laughs> high fastball and then you see it coming and you swing at it, even though it's six inches too high. The game that's most in my, obviously in my head with race was, is the game uh, where Mike Miner mowed down the Indians and, he got eaten up by high fastballs for minor minor also has one of the highest spin rates on his four seam and all of baseball, which, you know, just means that it's not going to drop quite as much, which means it's going to be even harder to hit than already possible. Then you think also he, his at bat after minor got pulled, it was a great at bat and he drilled the ball into center field. The Indians ended up losing the game, but you know, that's, 
neither here nor there. Uh, so if he's not chasing those high fastballs, I really, that, that that is the issue. And he, I think it's just, at least in, in my head personally, what he was, it was a perfect storm of what he can't get right now coming at him. So I'm sure it'll all settle down sooner or later. What the ceiling of he, of him actually is remains to be seen. But and there was one more thing is there's a reason he's chasing the high fastballs is if you watched his home run reel, you know, some of the nastiest, longest home runs he hit were high fastballs. So yeah. he can hit them. He just needs to, you know, just time it better because he can hit those. It's not like Tyler Naquin where there's literally a black hole void in the swing. Like when Fran Mule Reyes hits a high fastball, it can go for like 475 feet. Well, that's why I was so amazed by his, his first hit as an Indian too, was it was it was a high fastball and he just muscled it into into left field. I mean, that's just pure power is all he has going on right, going on right there. So it, it's probably just a combo of youth and experience and learning a new league and all that stuff too, so. You know, there's lots of moving parts here. I've got a hot take coming up. Oh, shit. Hold on. <laughs> hot take. <laughs> so, at Bad Coffee Twins on Twitter says, hottest of hot takes from a Twins fan, the Bauer trade actually makes it more difficult, not easier, for Cleveland to catch up in the AL Central this season. How dare you, sir? First of all, pick that one. Second of all, <laughs> how dare you, Twins fan? um say such a thing i think it's that, that's a good one to take i was joking but um i don't believe that at all i think trevor bauer he was really inconsistent for the indians and they got yasiel freaking puig this year that's gonna that's gonna do more than i mean as far as like a whole season's worth of game that's gotta help more than trevor bauer i'm sure trevor helps more like a playoff game or a playoff series but as far as winning more games in the twins i would think yasiel puig is gonna do a lot more than bauer will and you, you forget like logan allen could he probably won't be this year but maybe next year and then Fran reyes when he gets it together so I completely disagree with you, Mr. Bad Coffee Twins on Twitter. Two of those players aren't helping now, though, Matt, in terms of, well, especially in terms of Allen. Uh, I mean, that said, well, yeah, but uh, go look at the article man. publishing today, I guess, as this podcast goes up, written by me about who the Indians' best pitcher actually is. And in fact, their second best pitcher is still on the team, too. So, yes, they do lose a very good pitcher, but I don't think it hurts as much as a lot of people would think, considering how good Bauer was a year ago right like he wasn't he hasn't been that good this year he's shown flashes of it but there's been also ma- major flashes of inconsistency and route to where he is now specifically cincinnati yeah and and they forget that the indians just about made a are about to make a trade with the injured list for Corey kluber so oh yeah that should be very Ooh. nice yeah so yeah, he's just starting rehabs i think right or yeah he's, he's he is a he is starting for columbus on thursday so I mean, that is, that's not just, you know, an Arizona like Danny Salazar was for the first, like, two weeks of his rehab assignment. I mean, he is, Kluber is going straight to Columbus. I think he feels great. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if, if that one goes well. They maybe do one more, and then he's on the team. His velocity's back. Like, if maybe, potentially, this time away has been good for him in terms of resting his arm. Um, I mean, we could be getting, you know, a Cy Young winner back in good form to, to finish out the season. And I'll take Corey Kluber in dominant form over Trevor Bauer any day of the week. I think it makes it easier for us. Bauer was mostly gobbling up innings and he was walking almost five guys per nine, if I remember correctly. Like it's this is not the Trevor Bauer that we had last season. And he doesn't look to me like he's ever going to be that Trevor Bauer again, frankly. And I think the options that we have available to start are at least as good as he's been this season, if not better. 
Because it seemed like the Bauer we had every single year before, there was no difference between this Bauer and 2017, at least just on the surface of anecdotally watching him. Like, this does not seem anything like Bauer last year. He's really inconsistent. He has these really good streaks, and then he's just terrible for games at a time. I do Which think I guess he did. He said it was just sick and injured, but still, like, that's it happens so often with him. I do think he's going to be better next year. I, I I wrote about this earlier in the year, just about he's tried to make every single one of his pitches super elite, but that's just not a thing you can really do in real life. And I wonder if he's not going to learn that in the offseason and just kind of perfect. I don't know. I guess what, what would be a perfect mix for him, right, would be his his slurve, his, his amazing changeup and his fastball, I suppose. If you could Didn't just that conversation it. already happened that they tried to get him to trim down his pitches at one point? Probably like when he first and I, came up, and now they're doing it again. He's just like, I well, do all kinds of these pitches. Well, that's the thing. I mean, I mean, he, you sh- he can show you a video of a you know a changeup that moves six feet and a slider that you know cuts space time and all this stuff. You go, okay, yeah, throw more of those. But after a while, it's you. It, pitching is feel too, and I, this is what I mentioned in my article. I can't remember how long ago it was at this point, but um, I don't. Know, I, I wonder if he doesn't bounce back, and then the Indians maybe look bad because whatever he wins a Cy Young with the. I guess he'll be with the Reds next year, uh, with the Reds. And then they're like, well, why did we trade him now? And then, of course, he walks and gets paid a lot of money. But at this point, it, I don't know. I, he's not hes not the helpful pitcher he was last year, this year. He's good, but he's just—he's more of a he's more of a CeCe Sabathia type than a Cliff Lee type. Of it's getting away from the question a little bit, but I, didn't, I still don't get that trade from the Reds' perspective. There was The Red Reporter wrote that um, one of their posts was that the Reds are like finding this this new market inefficiency, which is spending money and taking on all these contracts that nobody else wants, <laughs> but also they're losing and they're not probably going to get in the playoffs next year. <laughs> so it's cool that a team's spending money, but they're not doing it well and they're not using it to win. So I still don't get it. <laughs> and I, I get Yasio Puig, I don't think they're going to get a whole lot for him anyway. So it kind of worked out. But then they also gave up Taylor Trammell for, again, for Trevor Bauer. <laughs> and they gave up, that's just part of getting him. I just don't get, if they think they're going to be a playoff team next year or if they can somehow convince him to sign with them afterwards or what their whole plan is here is it's it makes me want to hug the Indians front office once in a while. And, I, and I've talked to a lot of Reds fans in my area just because I kind of live right in between Cincinnati and uh, Cleveland. And they all view it as they thought that that top prospect was losing his luster and he's ha- he's having a bad season uh, and that they already have two really good young outfielders that are like rookies and Winker and Senzel. So they, they felt that maybe that guy was expendable. And uh, and they think that with the addition of Bauer next, for this year and next year, that they all have one of the best rotations in the whole National League. And maybe that'll be enough. So it's, it's <laughs> true. I mean, you look at Castillo. I mean, he is crazy good. And Sonny Gray's having a, a huge bounce back year. So, you know, you have Bauer as potentially the third best pitcher on that team, just like he was with the Indians. Then uh, that's not bad. All right, yeah, here's a good one from... At FezMX49, this is, speaks near and dear to my own heart. Is Adam Plutko <laughs> overrated, underrated, or proper, properly rated? I don't know if I mentioned uh, on Sunday that we were recording, Matt, before or during recording that I just hate watching Adam Plutko pitch, but I just, I'm curious what other people think. I think he's probably a little bit underrated right now, simply because the odds of him actually being the worst pitcher in the history of baseball at giving up home runs seems pretty low. <laughs> So I his ratio from good mustache to bad pitching is like way out of whack. He's got <laughs> such a good mustache. I just have a feeling that that number is going to start to come down, and he's never going to be an ace or a stud, but he can probably hang on somewhere as a back of the rotation guy. Where does he sit on the Josh Tomlin scale of awfulness as far as giving up home runs? Is he like do you think he's going to go down from it, or is he going to like keep going past Josh Tomlin and be a little bit worse? Because we we always mention that 
Tomlin, yeah, he sucks once in a while, but he's also a pretty decent fifth starter. Is that like what you think he's going to be or will he even stick around when everybody's healthy? I don't know if he'll stick around with the Indians, but I think he's not going to be as prolific a, a dinger giver upper as Tomlin was. I think it'd be worse, actually. I think he walks too many. I, I think he gets himself into hitters counts more than Tomlin ever really did. And that, if anything, creates a worse situation for him. God, I love dog not Adam Plutko. It feels so mean. Tell from firsthand experience, when I talked to him, uh, I, I interviewed him for Let's Go Tribe, and one of the things we talked about was that he likes to live in the top of the zone. Like He likes to pitch up on guys and, and force fly balls, not ground balls. And obviously, if he makes any sort of mistake in that department, uh, or even just if a guy catches up to one up there, when he even throws it the way where he wants it, it's going to go out to the park, especially with this fly ball revolution. So he picked he picked a bad time to be a fly ball pitcher. <laughs> so when was that interview? Was that recently? Uh, it or was, was that a couple no, years it was, ago. It was it was right when he got promoted to AAA the first time. I went to Columbus. I covered a game in the press box. I actually got to interview him in the the Clippers dugout. It was really cool. So I wonder if he's given that up then. I wonder if he because like you said, the fly ball revolution and the juice balls and all that. I wonder if he can't do that as well as he wanted to, or he still intentionally gives up a lot of fly balls that go a thousand yeah, i'd have to look at his ratios but i mean his ground ball percentage this season i think is 31 percent. that doesn't seem particularly low i mean he, he's chopped uh 10 off his fly ball rate from last year so it's down to 46.4 so, so yeah bad, he, i mean know, he still so has high. way higher fly ball rate than ground ball rate um and uh you know I'll, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt you know it seems like every time i'm on twitter and it's a pletco start everybody's complaining and whining but his last three starts have been pretty good uh, granted, small sample size, but you know, seven innings, one run, five and a third, three runs, five and a third, one run. Uh, you know, he he keeps us from having to go to the bullpen too early. I think his worst start this season, he went four innings. So, you know, we haven't had to yank him crazy early and had to bring in the bullpen and kill the bullpen, and he gives us a chance to win. I think the Indians actually win a pretty good majority of his starts. And all that definitely sounds like you're talking about Josh Tomlin. It could be like it mirrors, which isn't bad. Like the good side of Josh Tomlin, if he's that, an innings eater who sure he gives up some home runs, but he can do enough and you win a game once in a while with him. There you go. That's your fifth starter. I think we're just lucky right now that we don't need that pitcher necessarily because we have so many, even with Trevor Bauer gone, there's so many good pitchers coming up. I wonder about that point you made too, Brian, about him continuing to find somewhere to pitch. It's only because front offs are getting smarter and smarter and these you know low velocity guys are falling out of favor faster and faster. I mean, at 91 miles an hour, it's just not going to, that, that is, you know, 88 of five years ago. So Danny Salazar. How, well, yeah. no, well, Danny Salazar <laughs> at 87 of now was, eight, was Jamie Moyer without movement or location of, of five years ago or something. But I just wonder if, if only because he, of his insistence on being a fly ball guy and also not having anything particularly special, I guess, about his repertoire, he's going to find, a swifter exit than even we expect, considering what is expected of a fifth starter these days. Just because a fifth starter now can be a either someone super young like Aaron Savali, who's very good, or someone who's, I don't know, I don't have a second thing in my head. Maybe he's going to Rick Ankeel us, and he's going to flame out as a pitcher, but then he's going to come back and be a 30-30 guy playing left field. With that mustache, man. <laughs> that mustache is pure power. Yes. That is, those are all dingers in that mustache. <laughs> All right. Uh, this one's interesting. Uh, looks like Laneman24 on Twitter asks, do you think Savali is uh, in the rotation plans next year, or does he go the way of organizational depth guy? 
And I'm glad you picked that one because I included this one specifically for you and Matt because I know you guys talk about Aaron Savali a lot. <laughs> I'm writing about him right now too. Perfect. <laughs> and your name on in our <laughs> in our Zencaster is also Baron <laughs> Savali. He has, I, and this is just something I discovered today. His spin rates are off the charts for several of his pitches, which doesn't mean anything a lot usually. Uh, he has an, a slightly above average fastball velocity. He doesn't have a, I don't think he has a great breaking ball particularly. He loves his cutter and he's got good control. All of this adding up, I think, to being something useful for the Indians as a rotation piece next year. Yes. Uh, they're a smart forward thinking team. They can see what it, what value he brings by throwing certain pitches and not. We saw the best team at doing this. The Astros do that to Aaron Sanchez by saying, throw more curveballs. And he did. And he had a great, you know, outing uh, in his first start as a, Astro. So I think all the, I, I think he definitely has a lot going for him as a as a young pitcher. I don't know what you guys have said about him, but um I think the spin rate thing is really interesting specifically. Like and then you also said that who knows if it means anything, but also you talked before the show about it that maybe it does. Like this is the same pitch he's thrown forever. I can't imagine that spin rates need a whole lot to stabilize. Yeah, it's not like he's adding a whole lot. Like I looked at his at all, everything he's thrown, I guess there's some variation of a couple hundred, but Everyone has that. Even, you know, Corey Kluber has that from, from time to time on his on, on his slider. And it's all about their finger pressure and things like that. And they, they can control that more than we even think they can. So I, I wish we had spin rate information for like when Mariano Rivera was pitching. Because we could see the vast differences even within an at-bat that he can that he could do to that cutter that we all saw and have anecdotal evidence for. But, now, but nowadays we'll be able to actually point to and say, ooh, very good. So... No, I think it'll be a, a valuable pitcher for the Indians for, and really make that 2016 draft look insane. So for me with Savali, especially watching this last start, the way he was playing his two-seamer and his cutter off of each other reminded me of Kluber a lot. And the kind of command he has on both pitches, and like Brian said, the movement he's getting on both of them at this point in his career. Like, I, I don't think this was the way the question was intended, but even mentioning organizational depth for a guy with that kind of stuff is like offensive to me. Like he's going to be a starting pitcher for a long time. Yeah, no, that's fair. I don't, I don't see him as, as just some, some nobody either. I think he's come out of nowhere, but at this point we're used to pitchers coming out of nowhere for the Indians. And there's not really that hard to envision a future with Plesak, Savali and Bieber all in the rotation for a long time for the Indians. Maybe I, um, it, it won't be quite the Kluber, Carrasco, Bauer trio, but it's still going to be dope. I, I, <laughs> I'm, I'm not as sold on Pulisic. He just—he's not. I mean, he—he's. I don't. Under, there's some pitchers. I don't understand why they don't get more strikeouts. I guess is what it is. You know what I mean? And I, he's yeah. one just because he seems like he should have the velocity. But as Brian mentioned, uh, he can throw as hard as you want. If it's dead straight, it's going to get hammered. So maybe he could have a, a bit of a chat with Savali and, and learn how to add, do something. You know, add, add a little <laughs> bit of run to it. Or hey, how do you make or, him stop hitting the ball? Can you help me out here? Or or what have you, you know? Because so, he he seems like someone who should be better. I mean, it's just, it seemed like weird where he and where Jeffrey Jeffrey Jeffrey, yeah, Jeffrey Rodriguez comes up and he has, and then Plezak comes up after Rodriguez gets hurt and they have like nearly the same exact like strikeout and, and walk numbers. And it was very strange. And then here comes Savali and in two starts he struck out I think thirteen and twelve innings, which again small sample size, but encouraging. I guess I'm easily encouraged. All right, I'm gonna hit you with my next one. <laughs> hot take <laughs> so at kot tribe fan 13 on twitter says i'd rather have the al wildcard game be away than home what <laughs> i can't is there a reason for that does anybody have it first of all i don't want a wildcard game i guess if we're brain gonna have damage to... <laughs> <laughs> 
besides a life-threatening injury, is there is there some kind of strategic thing I'm missing here? Having away than home? Does he not? No, especially right? with the Indians because no. they're so much better at home. Someone have a good re- reason. I don't have one because that's ridiculous. <laughs> the only thing I could dream I up is that they remember the World Series in 2016 and think that the Indians fans are all going to sell their tickets for a wild card game. And maybe they saw Bieber's record away and were like, that's how you do it. Just start Bieber somewhere <laughs> other than Cleveland. <laughs> Get out of here. That's a, I don't know why else you'd want. I can't even I think. Mean, where would it be? Like Tampa Bay? Do you want to watch a playoff game in Tampa Bay, first of all? If we go there. First again. of all, I watched a great. The, <laughs> that game 163 year had a. That was a Dan Johnson home run that uh, took place in Tampa Bay. So that was a lot of fun. But, but it was in Tampa Bay. The place is a dumpster I, ju- I just don't think the Tampa Bay Rays fans are going to take over Progressive Field <laughs> quite like Cubs fans uh, clamoring for uh, the first championship in, over, in 100 years would. So. Just a theory of mine, I suppose. That's ridiculous. I don't know. I, I, it's not even <laughs> I just wanted to get that so. one out there because I, I thought maybe there's something I'm missing, but I can't think of unless you really. Then they couldn't bunt. Maybe you maybe get they to would know not to first. bunt. <laughs> you get to bat first, so you get to get off to a. You get to have Lindor hit a home run to start the game off, and then Mercado gonna hit a triple, and then uh, Santana can walk, and then Puig can hit a double, and then you're. I mean, you're if that happens, like does it matter nothing with... <laughs> if you're home or away? <laughs> well, if you do it first, then you take the crowd out of it. And maybe they're worried the crowd scares the Indians. Ah. <laughs> the Indians have stage fright in front of big crowds, so they're they want to so play in used... Tampa Bay. Right, they're <laughs> so used to there. playing in small crowds for all these years, and that's what really happened in the 2016 World Series. They got spooked. You know, I think like the only horses. away one that I'd prefer is in Oakland, just so we get that cool band. I would be okay <laughs> with that, unless it starts at ten o'clock. But I would be okay playing in Oakland, just so we get that sweet ass band. Well, you remember from the playoffs last year, all the Indians playoff games are going to be at like noon. <laughs> yeah, I hate. I really hate so much that the Indians prove them right in doing that. Yeah. I remember thinking these games are going to be great. Shut up, MLB, and then they were just fucking awful. So. I literally missed half of them. Like, like half of them. I'm, I'm at work for for, for these. Things. Well, you're lucky because they sucked. So they yeah, were trash. I know. I was watching my phone. <laughs> what is going on here? Anyway, ooh, hot take. Russell Brandon on Twitter says the bunt really isn't a bad thing. The fuck is that? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I know he's referring to the one that was. I'm trying to speak in days and not say yesterday because what day is today? It all blends together. Monday, when the Indians bunted and lost by one run. Um, in the top of the ninth, they're they're down by or bottom of the ninth. They're down by one. Jose Ramirez hits a, a leadoff double. The pitcher can't hit the damn strike zone to save his life. Tyler Naquin gets up 1 0 on the count, and then he bunts. And then Jose Ramirez is at third. The Indians, Jason Kidman's hit the dribbler for some stupid reason. And then he's out, and then I can't remember what exactly was it Reyes that was up last? Yeah, yeah. He had a seed to center field. Right, yeah, and then, good lord, if only they had one more out to work with, isn't it be magical? I don't fucking get this. People, like, were quoting me the the uh, hit probability chart, because, look, you have a 4% better chance of getting a run if you give up one of your final three outs, but also their win learned, probability went down. I learned that in I'm baseball, you have more run. runs than the other team to win. I don't know if you guys knew that. No, you just got to tie. That's all you gotta do. Oh, oh, it's exciting. We're trying to get a point here. We're just trying to get a point and, and move I've, yeah, I've okay, gone yeah. through the scenarios about when it's okay to bunt. And there to me, there's one time, and it's if you're tie game and it's bottom of the ninth or extra innings, and I think you got runners on first and second. That's about it. Like you you eliminate the double play, get guys to second and third with one out, and then 
you have a better chance of getting that run home. I think I think that's like the only time that I would ever be okay with. That. I think even if you're even if you're tied, I mean, if it's tied in the bottom of the ninth, I'm fine with lead off double bunting him over because you only need one run unless you need. Because you never need just one run except for that. Even if you're down like the sixth inning, you don't know. Like you're gonna even if you're ahead or tied in the sixth inning, you don't know if you're gonna need more innings or not. Uh, I like suicide squeezes. Those are neat. Those are fun. Um, other than that, if you have a crafty groundskeeper who's able to, what would you have to do? <laughs> I guess grow the grass real long and then also kind of subtly shape the base path so it, it curves in. So these are the situations in which I like bunting sometimes. It's fun. That same game, by the way, they did bunt for a single. So that's something. Yeah, he did not say sack. Yeah, he did not say sack bunt. He said the bunt. So I also, I love love beat the shift bunt. That's my favorite. That's always a fun one, yeah. If if he's saying the bunt isn't really a bad thing, that is definitely the take I would go with it is there are times and places to bunt absolutely. So Russell Brandon capitalized the bunt. So I'd assume he's talking about the Tuesday or Monday one specifically. Oh, no, that, that was, one was bad. That one was Lead off bad. Double. Yes. This man is banned from Twitter. <laughs> and there's um, uh, at Pat's FLB or Pat's FB, who's Westbrook on Let's Go Tribe. He had a really good analogy. He said, imagine if some NFL coach that had said, or wait, seeing that his team was best in the league at converting third and four, so intentionally losing a yard on two and three, on second and three. That's basically what the Indians did. They're really good at hitting sack flies. So they went backwards to make themselves run into that situation. Stupid. Especially when you're playing to tie. Yeah. That's, and who plays it? Hey, play to tie. I hate it. I hate adages, but that's a good one. <laughs> so, Matt, do you like the bunt? Is that uh No. His silence is saying We'll fight yes. you. We'll all beat you I know. on the podcast. I'm nowhere near you. Like, but... We talked about it a little bit in the Slack, <laughs> and I'm not as vehemently against that bunt as everyone else. Which is weird because 99% of the time I'm like the guy who's most angry about bunting. But like. I mean, have you seen what I do on the LZD Twitter every time there's a bunt? <laughs> as far as being the most angry guy, I think I lose followers every time there's a bunt. It just with Naquin probably being hurt and not even expecting to play at all that day. And given that we have the best bullpen in baseball and the Rangers have one of the worst, I think it's a little more defensible to play for that single run than like in a total vacuum. That being said, you probably just should have fucking swung away. Like I've come around to that, (laughs) (laughs) but like, I I mean, you do definitely have points. I don't think it's as bad a call as everyone is making it out to be given the context. You, You do have some points. I mean, yeah. It's the the injured Naquin thing is the biggest one that makes it almost sort of look not completely terrible to me. Um, but if I mean, just let him swing. I mean, you're, you're taking okay, he's injured, so he probably won't hit. So you take him down to like a zero percent chance to get a base hit compared to whatever small chance he had before. Like that's the thing I don't get too is that sure he might not probably hit it, but you you don't give him a chance to like whatever. Let him get a single or even just let him hit a ball that's a ground ball out and he can still get Jose to third and let him try. I don't know. And also, too, I mean, he's not a good high fastball hitter, and he's facing a guy who throws low changeups a lot. Yeah, and it was a low change. It was so, a low fastball that he bunted too. It was like right. I don't, in his I don't know. It's just, it's just, it seemed like a perfect. Like that's why I was excited for Reyes coming up too. Is I Leclerc doesn't throw the ball up in the zone, and so I was like, finally, he's going to get a chance. Jesus, and he did. He got a great chance, and he clobbered the hell out of the ball. Just went in the wrong direction. So I don't know why um, Naquin didn't. Read the room. <laughs> Come on, Tyler. Read the damn room, man. <laughs> Come on. What are you doing here? <laughs> I got a two for one. Uh, Danny Salazar. One's a hot take. Hot take. 
Uh, Alexi yeah, did. I can't. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> not a question, more of a thought. The Danny Salazar experience was really weird. Yes. The question <laughs> was uh, different I- issues, obviously. But has Danny Salazar become the Indians version of Josh Gordon? Um, Flash Gordon, wonderful wide receiver. Uh, a Baylor product, I believe, for the Browns. Uh, ended up on the... Anyway, everyone knows who Josh Gordon is. He's listening to this, I assume. I don't know. I can I can start with that one. Um, I, no, absolutely not. I mean, the parallels are Gordon missed all that time because of his own stupidity, like in terms of drug tests and all kinds of other things. Uh, Salazar's missed that time because of injuries, uh, just repeated injuries over and over and over again. I mean, the guy just can't stay healthy. Um, I'm trying to think of who on the Browns was a great player that just had that just missed a ton of time over the the, the, the end of their Cole McCoy. Not, no, not Cole McCoy. <laughs> <laughs> not Cole McCoy. Yeah. He got half of that. He's injured, but what about I'm that trying great to think player? of like who who is that guy that was like a, a Pro Bowl type player that just got cut down and missed the whole last half of like their contract in their prime uh, because of injuries, but. You yeah. probably have to go back 40 years to do that, or 30 years to do but, it. Yeah. I mean, it's not injuries, but it's Josh Gordon. Like, he was super good at first, and then taking the situations out of it, like Salazar's injuries, and obviously odd Josh Gordon's is his own circumstances, but it's a really similar trajectory they have there. They both were really good early on for their teams. They both showed a lot of promise, and then right after they showed the promise, they just declined immediately. In fairness, there's been no decline from Josh Gordon. Every time he stepped on the field, he was good. It's just he stepped on and then just did right. drugs again. Yeah. But, you know, I felt like I was on drugs watching Danny Salazar the other <laughs> night. Nah, hey. That was really bizarre. <laughs> it was the strangest thing on earth. Another one based off of development, because that's my niche. Uh, John Moosey on Facebook asks the tribe seemingly keeps pulling quality pitchers out of their backside what is the reason for their developmental skills wizard <laughs> yeah it's, I mean, it, it is pretty down. crazy to see here <laughs> that uh kluber and carrasco and clevenger and jeffrey rodriguez who was one of the fill-ins all getting hurt and missing extended time and danny salazar and that they're still putting out you know a, a help a, a solid rotation that is consistently getting quality starts. Um, I can actually answer this question. That's why I picked it. But, <laughs> um, oh, all right. I was going to say that was a theory. Uh, the Indians made a shift right. in like their drafting strategy. It's it started about 2016, where they they put a big focus on yeah they would take their their topics and focus on like really young developmental projects and then in the rest of the top 10 and then going on into the day three picks, they would do a lot of college arms and they would, I mean, you wouldn't, you could just see a guy's stats in the college and go, Indians are going to draft that guy. I mean, literally they would have, and it would be somebody that maybe doesn't have the greatest ERA or maybe had a down junior year after a really strong sophomore year. But they always had incredible strikeout numbers, like well over uh, not ten k or nine k per nine, and they would have really low walk rates. And that just was consistently what the Indians have been drafting. And that first crop of them, the Playsack, the Bieber, the Savali, 
they're now in the major leagues. And then you've got the next wave of them coming in the Eli Morgans, the, the Cody Morrises, the, you know, you're, you're seeing a lot more of those guys that they'll be, they're knocking on the door too already. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's only a matter of time. And then in the meantime, they've still got these like development projects, the, you know, the Tristan McKenzie's, the high schoolers, the Daniel Espino's, the Ethan Hankins, the flamethrowers that can, you know, that everybody's raving about, that can throw, you know, upper nineties with, you know, a wipeout, uh, breaking stuff. Those are the ones that they can, you know, really take their time on and let them pace themselves. But these guys that have crazy ability to throw strikes, uh, command the zone and strike people out, they're flying through the system. I mean, just flying. I mean, Bieber was in the minor leagues for less than two years. So, I mean, that, that's not the that's not the, the most common thing to happen. But, I mean, these guys are going through quickly. And Matt and I talked about uh, this about uh, on the Let's Talk Drive where they, I mean, makeup-wise, obviously that's something to the guys who really seem to be just guys who are driven to be. And I don't know if that's, uh, that's that doesn't seem like an outlier of the Indians, but they just seem to be very good at drafting guys who are, really into it i guess for lack of a better phrase that and then uh, you know what with all the science we have now too um it makes sense from what your, your point of view of them getting all these low walk guys i think i think in college you probably get a lot of strikeouts regardless of how hard you're really throwing if you have great control so the, these low walk guys who strike a lot of people out and then knowing they can develop velocity just based on demonstrated science across you know wh- whether it's you know wh- whatever organization you want to talk about they know that they can find these things and no, we, we all know the Indians are purported to be one of the best, one of the more forward-thinking teams in, in the game. So being able to find these basic materials and put them together, I think it's obviously... I wonder, happening. too, if part of the draft strategy, and I don't have any numbers to back this up, but if you've got a, a kid who's already pitched all his way, all the way through high school, travel ball, and part of the way through college without any major injuries or has already rehabbed from one of them, if that's seen as less of a risk than a high school arm as well then i i do think the control aspect is the most important thing because it we know you can teach nasty breaking stuff we know you can teach velocity but how do you teach a guy feel and and locating a pitch do we know you know because that's that's one of the things is you see these teams drafting guys that can you know throw 100 miles an hour and if you can't locate 100 miles an hour i mean you're not it doesn't matter and uh, so the Indians are going with these guys that can hit the, the low to mid nineties and command the hell out of the zone. And they're just destroying people. Um, and it's, it's just crazy to watch. I mean, like I was just thinking of more examples, you know, there's this Adam Scott kid. He was a senior senior last year that they drafted in the 18 draft. He's already at double a and he's killing people at double a. So he's already in the mix to be competing for a spot and, and to pitch for the Indians next year. And that's a guy they literally just drafted uh, last year. So, um, I mean, they're, they're just finding these guys over and over and over again. And it looks like uh, they just traded for one. That Scott Moss kid that was like kind of a throw-in <laughs> with the Trevor Bauer deal. His debut with the uh, Akron the other day went like six innings, like six strikeouts, no runs, like maybe one walk. That, that is a very common Indians minor league pitching uh, line, pitching line. How would we quantify someone like, though, uh, like Mike Clevenger, obviously a trade piece. Um, he was not, the, you know what I mean? Like, he, he he gets a lot of strikeouts. He always did. Uh, a lot of walks, though, for his first two years. You know, he's averaging over his first two seasons. I mean, combine these two lines to 4.6 walks per nine. 
striking out just over, you know, nine and a half. And then you just cut that in half. So that I think it's both the minor and also the major league level. Cause as we've talked, as we've seen, you know, his velocity has jumped even since he's gotten to the majors, how much of that was an impact of Trevor Bauer, who knows, but uh, there's something there too. Like It's not just they, they develop only in the minors. There's continued development once you get to the majors. And I, I don't know if that's an outlier. It just seems like a thing you don't see a lot of, you know, like usually it seems like it's individual, but it's almost mm-hmm. like, like it feels like for, there's like this competition almost between the pitchers. Like, like they, they, they see where they are lacking and they want to, to improve it. And like, they want to be the best on the team. Like there's just this real deep, heavy competition going on at the major league level, at the minor league level. Like these guys know, I mean, the spots are limited and they want to be that next man up. I agree that culture definitely plays into it. And I feel a little weird citing something like that. that can feel kind of hand wavy, but it's obvious that it's an important part of what's driving these guys to excel in this case. And having that bell cow and Corey Kluber for the last four years is definitely five years now, I guess, has definitely helped you. You you could try and be as good as him, I guess. He's only got two Cy Youngs now. Be like, well, I guess I could be 80% of that. We'll see. All right. So our next one uh, is going to be from at EnjoyDolan2020 on Twitter. He asked, the best Indians player to bite a beer. (laughs) It's obviously in reference to Baker Mayfield. Um, Over the weekend, he bit a beer and uh, when he was on the Jumbotron, immediately shotgunned it and it was really good. Um, so I mean, who on the Indians? Just theoretical, no, literal, whatever way. Who who do you want to bite a beer? I mean, obviously, well, the answer is current Yasiel Indians. Played. Current Indians who would bite a beer is, is I guess no, not not who would. It'd be the best. Like, so who would you want to see it do the most? It, I I like who'd be the best at doing it? I mean, Yasiel Puig is too many moving parts. Here. This is ridiculous. <laughs> the best Indians player to bite a beer. Who would you want to do with the most? Who would have the most fun? With obviously, it? Like, Adam Plutko. And he got all the the mustache <laughs> I mean, action. Come on, be Albert Bell. Like you, you just you remember that historic thing of that. I want to see him take not just a bite, like a little nib, and then shotgun. I want to see him like just open his jaws and just take a giant, just jaw sized chunk out of the beer, and then just pour it right down his throat, like. <laughs> like right out of the top of the right, just and right smash the between his plant. biceps, <laughs> like through the through the thick metal. <laughs> I think Hunter Wood would be interesting. Hunter Wood would do it like a vampire. He'd bite it and like slowly oh. drink it while he's looking at you. That's one that, that I'd want to see as a unique approach. I would want to see um, <laughs> Tyler Clippard do it, just because he seems like such a nice kind of quiet guy that goes about his business, and all of a sudden you come around the corner and he's just. <laughs> <laughs> or it looks like he'd be telling on everybody for drinking when they're not supposed to. He's a nerd. Nerd. Good out here, nerd. <laughs> uh, historical. Uh, Jarrett Wright always seemed like the the fratty type of dude that would have just loved to pound a, or just take a big chunk out of a beer and shotgun it. Brad Hand with his cold, dead doll eyes would just be. Oh God! I mean, the, the absorbing real answer we all know is. It's Jim Tomey because he's just a beer league softball man who made, you know, turned into a, su- a superstar athlete by accident. He just does it at home just for fun. He doesn't need a jumbo Yeah, just truck. for fun. Him, him and his brothers. And he'd he'd probably be like, so, you know, you're, you're supposed to open them with the tail? <laughs> Wait, what's that? <laughs> That's the part you chew. That's the really good part. I want Sandy Alomar to just <laughs> trot out to first one game in the middle of the inning. He just pulls out a beer and shotguns it. <laughs> <Just> tosses <laughs> a can over his shoulder. <laughs> Let's go around the bases. <laughs> it's go time, boys. Oh, Jesus. I'm trying, like any player that's old, like in the 40s and 30s or whatever, they would 
probably right. Like those guys got to be drinking Imagine wild. Imagine Ichiro shot. They probably the did it on the field. Yes. <laughs> it would be so. It would be does perfect. the arm thing and everything before he does it. <laughs> and then finally, we'll bring it home with a question from Vmart Shopper on Let's Go Tribe. Why do fans not see how good Kipnis is and what a great veteran leader he is to have in the clubhouse? This is unfortunate we don't have Chris Davies on since he just wrote about him. And he he said a lot of really good things of the fact that um, Kipnis, he's had all these little comebacks before. And this year, the one he has looks a lot more real than 2018. And uh, he's hitting the ball harder. He's hitting it everywhere. Like this looks like maybe he might be effective Jason Kipnis again. And the part about the leadership, I think that's one thing that people overlook a lot. He is already becoming like the the Mike Napoli or Jason Giambi. We thought we'd go through free agency. That's Jason Kipnis. He's a better hitter than both of them, probably, if he can be this good. And he's also a really good veteran leader by the sounds of it. I don't I don't put any stock in veteran leadership. So I don't think that's helpful at all to the Indians, quite honestly. You didn't think Mike Napoli was helpful? Or Juan Uribe for Jose Ramirez? I think that I think yes. Yeah, merit. maybe a little bit, merit. but but more generally, no. I think the, that that I would rather have a better player than Jason Kipnis. I think that's what it is. Oh I yeah, think it's not like an either or thing. You'd rather have a better player, but... or then I guess yes, maybe he's having some intangible thing. But counting out counting on intangibles is often frustrating because it's hard to touch. If that makes sense, I don't know. I want a sabermetrically inclined uh, <laughs> peak Joe Morgan or Same. nothing. Thanks, man. Thanks for agreeing with me. <laughs> Joe Morgan's a really, he's not a good announcer, but I like his voice. Does that count for anything? Yeah, that's a good announcer. He just says bad stuff. If he could just not talk, but somehow get his voice out there, it'd be really good. There's got lots of guys like that. You know, they sound like, they sound amazing when they say crap. So, you know. He just gives like the, the vocal version of a reaction shot <laughs> so something happens and they just cut <laughs> yeah. to him to go oh wow <laughs> I will say Whoa. you're getting us a little bit back on topic um, when Kip when, when Kipnis is well, on not, I don't want I mean he's great like the Indians play so much better when he's hot like just it just adds that extra extension of the lineup uh, you know he had that stretch just just recently five games in a row not just with a hit but an extra base hit and the Indians were playing amazing during those games so when, when he's on, it's incredible. So I, I will not ever uh, say that, you know, or I will miss that tremendously. It's just I, I will not miss when he is just struggle busted real hard and they just keep throwing him out there. You know, I won't miss <laughs> repeatedly batting him against lefties when it was, you know, clearly proven that he's starting to not be able to hit them anymore. But uh, I, I, I when he's hot, I mean, there's – it just helps the lineup so much. It, it's it helps the lineup for some reason. It seems like it helps the team more when he's hot than if somebody like Lindor's hot because Lindor's just, I guess, so consistently good. But you just feel it a lot more when Kipnis is on. So I guess to to get to like why fans don't see it, I think it's just because we had those two entire seasons where not really for any fault of his own because he was hurt for both of those. Uh, I think it was 2016 and 2018, if I'm remembering correctly. Uh, 17 and 18. Yeah. 16, he was okay. I think just because we had those long doldrums with him, when he goes into that sucky Kipnis mode again, 
people just like to harp on him for that reason. I don't know. He does seem to catch more flack than other guys well, that go the most, through. He's the most struggling periods. Say in your face player, but he's bizarrely one of the faces of the team. You know, like especially now with Kluber has been on the shelf for so long. At this point, they got rid of Bauer. I mean, they have Lindor. Uh, Ramirez just isn't quite as demonstrative. I suppose is a good word for it. So and that, that's got to be part of it. He's just he's just kind of been around the longest at this point, probably. Right? Yeah, no, he's and definitely... Santana, I guess, are, are probably the, the, the elder statesman of the team, and Santana left for a year. Yeah, and so Kibbis is not like, shy about, like, talking back at people. Anything. Yeah. <laughs> right, no, he is, he is very much a spokesman for the team, and, and that's and that's part of it. You know, I mean, you, you, when you speak up, you will draw acclaim and criticism, and it's just when you're also playing badly, as he has for, honestly, three years now. And, yes, he's been hot lately, but as we've talked about before, he does that all the time. Yeah, and, and all the time. it could just be but, me, you know, but he's like the one where when he leaves, it's going to be the absolute weirdest to see him in another uniform. Like, I oh, saw definitely. Lonnie Tizzle on the Pirate. That was fine. Like, even when Corey Kluber leaves, everybody has a good pitcher. And then Francisco Lindor, everybody has a good, really good shortstop. Brantley is a, an Astro is strange still, it's man. It's not that That's, weird to me. I thought it would be. I, he, he, he grew the evil Brantley beard and everything, <laughs> so that definitely helps. But, like, it's, I don't know. I just... It's, I, I just cannot I picture like Kibbis anywhere else. I thought Brantley would be weirder than he is. It sucks, absolutely, but... Maybe the beard helped, but it just he just looks think, like a really good player somewhere else. If when Kipnis ends up on the White Sox, at least then it'll look – I think that'll look the most normal. I think he's the most White Soxy looking player of all the Indians. I think so, uh, I will miss most is the home run celebration where they carry him down the, the dugout. Like That is one of the most original, fun-to-watch home run celebrations that they – I'm just worried that Kipnis is going to be one of those guys that we don't pick up the option and then – he ends up signing for the Yankees for like $3 million and has an eight war season. And then no one ever hears from him. Yeah, again. definitely. hundred percent is going to happen. hundred percent. All right. So that's going to do it um, for this week. Our first, first episode of the hot take corner. It was fun. We got some hot takes, tested out the new button, but thanks for all your questions. If you want, um, if you're listening now, leave us your review on iTunes, Spotify, whatever. And if you want to send questions in, you can always do it at SBN. Let's go tribe at gmail.com add us on twitter um, the day of the podcast i'll put up a post on let's go try it itself if you want to ask there uh, thanks for listening and we'll probably talk to you next week Bye.